Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find just the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. And now here's today's message. Going through life, we pick up pieces from our parents, friends, books, from newspaper headlines and social media comments. Together, these pieces make up our worldview, our picture of reality. But most people never check to see if their pieces even fit together, let alone add up to a whole picture. As Christians, our worldview is anchored in unshakable truth that transcends opinion, bias, or personal narrative. But how many of these other pieces have we added that don't fit? Maybe it's time for a reality check. And we are finishing our series on Reality Check. But before I get to that, I just want to say thank you so much to Mark Tedder and the worship team leading us today. That was powerful. I could hear you guys singing backstage. It was awesome. Really, really nice. Thanks for that. Well, and we've been talking about these puzzle pieces and making sure that our worldview, there's certain pieces that fit in that puzzle. And so when you leave today, if the nine o'clock didn't take them all, you're going to be able to get a little, it's just a little reminder. This is kind of its own kind of a puzzle. And it says reality check. And the reason I know now why we didn't hand them out before service, because you would be, I don't even know if I can get, but I got to work there. I did. Now it's a good thing because... I would have to continue to work at it until I finally made that. But anyway, just as a reminder of this series and making sure that we go through our own worldview to make sure we got things kind of in place. Because worldview, out of your worldview comes everything that you believe. And you need to evaluate. And the thing that I've been trying to drive home this particular series is that we want you to know that it's important that you get Get these things right. And does it match reality? Does your worldview match reality? Now, there's, I think one of the main things you have to do in a worldview is you have to have the beginning. You've got to figure out that beginning. And there's two different options, major options that you have. One option is evolution, right? That, that through a bunch, of, a bunch of time, there was goo to you. There's, it took a bunch of time to evolve, you got to start out with, who knows, you know, kind of crawl out of this pond or whatever and scum, and then you have this, and, and then you go through the kind of the planet of the apes, and then man, right? Now, that, if you take that track, there's two different kinds of conclusions that people tend to fall into. One conclusion is that the evolutionary process continues, and man actually becomes God, we know this from the Caesars. They were, they were to be, they were held as gods. Alexander the Great. And now whether he thought he was a god or not, people thought he was God. When he came down to Egypt, the reason that Alexandria, Egypt was built is because they thought he was God and they built this massive port there in, in, in Egypt, uh, thinking that Alexander the Great was God. Others have come. There's people in Hollywood have just proclaimed that they. They are God. I think once a, once a person gets, maybe it's wealth, power, people tell them how great they are for a long period of time, you flirt with this idea, right? This evolutionary process did not stop at man. You actually have progressed just a little bit further into a God. That's one track that I've seen. Another track that with, with evolution, they kind of progress to the point and then, but they, they kind of, 
take a different track, and it's, it's called nihilism. It means nothingism. It means there's no matter, nothing matters. Uh, we're just a, you know, just a bunch of cells. We don't have purpose. Life doesn't have meaning. And when you're done, when you die, you're done. That would be this, this nihilism that nothing matters. Nothingness would be another conclusion of that evolutionary worldview. Now, there's another worldview that's called creation. And this is what we call a biblical worldview. This is God's answer. And, and what God made was beautiful. What God called day six was very good. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to go through this different progression of, of man and what God thinks of man. I'm going to start with beauty because I think a lot of what God started with was beauty. And he said it was good. It was good. It was good. On the sixth day, he said it was very good. So we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you want to have a Bible, they're bringing you Bibles now. Grab one. Not all the verses I have today will be on the screen. So grab a Bible. Take this. If you don't have a Bible, keep this one. This is a gift from us to you. Keep that. But this, this idea, so God started as beautiful, but I also know a part of this worldview of a biblical worldview is that we're also broken. We've got to go talk about the brokenness of man and understand our condition and why we're broken. And then finally, brothers. Because I think the way that we are, we can patch the, the, some of the things that are damaged is this idea of brotherhood. It's what Christ asked us to do. And we're going to try to, to, to conclude with this, this idea that we were, we were created beautiful. We became broken, but we can become brothers. It's not going to be this side of glory. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the garden, but we can become brothers. And we need to work at that to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's start with beauty. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 is where I'd like to begin. And this is where God basically says, let us make man in our image. I, I like the way that it starts off because it says that, that you can also see the plural in the Godhead. Let us, God the Father, Son, and the Spirit, let us make man in our image. This, this idea of image is crucial this idea of image means um, that we can choose, we can have reason, we, we can think. Um, there's, a, there's a part of this image of God that I think is immaterial, and I think mostly is immaterial. I don't think God has hanger, uh, hands and fingers and toes and, and eyes. He has his spirit. Let us make man in our, in the Latin is imago Dei. I like that word. God made us in the imago Dei. His image. We are image bearers. After our likeness, he says. And let, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and, and over the livestock and over all the earth and everything that creeps and everything that creeps upon the earth. Verse 27, is, this is crucial. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in the biblical worldview, God makes male and he makes female. It's a part of the, 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 the understanding that we have. And if we, you can take some of the issues that we have in our day. And it starts right here, that God made us in his image. Male and female are made in the image of God. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of this earth, and every tree that with seed in it, you shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird in the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Here's what I was trying to get to. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Man was created on that sixth day, and there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. I know a lot of people who struggle with the creation because there's not enough time. There's got to have some more time involved in this. And it's like, I don't know. I, I really don't want to argue. I never argue with people over time. The only thing I just take you to is, is Jesus's first miracle. He created, he turned water into wine. And we know something about wine. Does this, the wine that's the good stuff, is it made in like a month or is it made in several years? Most people know that that takes several years to have the good stuff. And yet when Jesus created, made, turned water into wine in that moment during that wedding ceremony, it was the good stuff. So here's what I do know about God. He can create with age. So did do the trees that God created have rings? I don't know. You can stay up late night thinking about that one. Did Adam have a belly button? Uh, you can stay up late and think about that one. I hope that as sometime even tonight, your spouse will nudge you. Do you think Adam had a belly button? It's those kind of things that, I don't know, it makes you think. It's like, I don't know exactly, but I can just tell you, this is how God, he, he showed us. There was morning and there was evening, a sixth day. And on the sixth day, he created man. And he said it was very good. I think God saw that man, it was, it was something about his creation that was beautiful. And it was perfect in the garden. I heard this. I wish I could tell you what I heard it. I'd give, I would uh, quote that person, but it goes like this. Animals have flesh, but no spirit. That was a good observation. Angels have spirit, but no flesh. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but we can entertain angels unaware. I'll just say that I don't fully understand that. I know that angels are ministering spirits. Okay. So animals have flesh, no spirit. Angels have spirit, no flesh per se. But here, man has both. Man is both flesh and spirit, right? We're, we're born dead spiritually, but when you accept Christ in your life, you have this spirit. And so we've got access to both. And the, the challenge, if you read scripture, you're gonna hear Jesus say this a lot. You're gonna hear Paul say this a lot. Fix your mind on things above, you know, put your treasures not here on earth, but in, in glory, where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. We are challenged on a regular basis to keep our minds focused on the future and in glory. That's the spiritual part of us, tugging at that. And yet we live in this skin, this flesh. And this flesh, just, it just grounds us because we do have, you know, we get hungry, we have needs. And so we, we have this battle of the flesh and the spirit I don't think angels have that battle. Animals don't have that battle. Humans have that battle. Because why? Because we're made in the Imago Dei. We've got the image of God in us. And that's all of us. That's everyone. Whether you have Christ or not, you have the Imago Dei. 
all men are made in the image. Men, women are made in the image of God. And as a result of that, that should tell us something about how we should treat each other. It tells us something about how God thinks of everybody. It would fix a lot of things in our world if we could just see people as the Imago Dei, the image bearers. At the... That clip with Tim Tebow, I, I, I didn't listen to the first one. I saw it today in, in this hour when I was sitting with MK over here. But it's like, they, and I just love this. It's uh, special needs kids that, and he kept calling them kings and queens and crowning them. And, it's, and he even said it. He just like, this is a part of the sermon. I didn't even know about it until I just saw this part of it. That because every child, every person, special needs or not, Imago Dei. They're image bearers. As a result of that, we, how should that mean how we treat one another? I think everybody would answer it well, but do you drive like that other person's Imago Day? Okay, that's what I thought. You were getting a little pious on me. We got to make sure we treat. Remember, there were all image bearers. And I believe that makes us Beautiful. There's some things I want you to say, show you about this image bearer and, and even try to maybe, maybe understand it a little bit more. 2 Corinthians, now this is not on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 4, talks about, gives us this real good picture of what the image of God is. I want to read, I'm going to start reading verse 3. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, you can follow along with me. This is not on the screen. It says this, and, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers. In other words, the God of this age, who is that? That's Satan. God of this age has, has blinded them. They can't see the, the truth, okay? The God of this age has blinded them. They still, they're still image bearers, but I want you to see this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, I need to back up. In this case, the God of the world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There it is. Jesus Christ is the image. We are image bearers. He is the image. So here's what, here's what I'm going to break this down. We're, we're made in the image of God. He created us in his image. That means all mankind are image bearers. If you're human, you're an image bearer. But Christ is the image of God. And so when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, you re receive him as your savior and your Lord. You ask him to forgive your sins. Now you've got, you've got the image bearer inside of you. And then I want you to see this next picture because this is where it starts making a whole bunch of sense to me. 2 Corinthians 4, just skip down to verse 7. And we have this on the screen. But we have this treasure. What is this treasure? This is Christ in us. We have this treasure. It's Christ in us, but it's also the Imago Dei because we, we always were made in the Imago Dei, in his image. We're image bearers. And then you invite the the image bearer into your life. We have this treasure in jars of clay so that the surpassing power belongs to God and not with us. I love this picture. This, this stuff, this skin stuff is, is clay. It's fallible. It's human. It's flesh. 
But there's a part that's inside the spirit of God, if you accept Christ in you. Now you've got Christ in you. And he said, we have this treasure this in clay pots. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's an amazing thing that God entrusted this skin, stuff, flesh, to be invaded with the spirit of Christ. And we hold this in earthen vessels. Now, the reason that it's hard, it's hard to recognize sometimes in us is because we, we don't get through. We like to look on the exterior. We like to say, well, let's look, look on the outside of a person to see if we like this person or not. And God doesn't look on the exterior. He looks on the interior. I'll give you some examples. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. This is uh, God talking about Saul, King Saul. He says this about Saul. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, Saul was a tall, handsome guy. There's our leader. That's the one we want to be our king. And God said, no, I've rejected him. Because why? Not because of his outward appearance. That was fine. It was the inside stuff that matters to God. And I would tell you, we can talk about this all day long. I think we all believe that that inside stuff is so important. That's, why we, that's what we like about each other. That's what we love about each other. Is this, the inside, the tenderness, the kindness, the goodness, those kinds of things. But sometimes we get called, caught up in the outside stuff. God looks at the inside stuff. He looks at the heart. And we see that when he, when he chooses, when God chooses a king, he went after a, a young, ruddy kid, teenager probably. Now, I don't know exactly what ruddy means, but it doesn't sound handsome to me. He's ruddy. He's just a tough kid. Shepherd, tending the sheep, youngest of the family. And God said, that's, that's my guy. Outwardly, you wouldn't have picked Shepherd boy, David, inwardly, God said, no, he's, his heart's solid gold. And he saw it probably, found him probably when he was a teenager. God looks at the inside. Man looks at the outside. Proverbs 31, 30 is another one. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is for the Proverbs 31 woman. And it's talking about those inside things, the quality. The fear of the Lord is a, a wonderful quality. Here's some New Testament uh, passages that help paint this picture. First Peter chapter three, verses three through four. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewels and fine clothing. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Isn't that amazing? You see, I think we, we want to, now, think about the amount of money we spend on the exterior of this skin. There's a lot. Do we invest equally as much on the inside of this stuff, of this skin, of the heart? You see, I think, I think we need to be, we need to make sure that this inside, this Gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I will just tell you, not every, we, 
that's the goal. Do we keep a gentle and quiet spirit? No. But those that have, that are image bearers, that have invited the, the king of kings into your soul, and now you have a clay pot that has this, in this earthen vessel, you obtain this, this great value and wealth that God puts in, in our soul by the spirit of Christ, this treasure in earthen vessels. And when we do screw it up, and we will, when we're not gentle, and when we're not tender, and when we're not kind, but the Spirit of God is in us and will convict us, and we say, ah, I, I wasn't kind to you, and I'm sorry. I wasn't gentle to you. I, I told a half-truth, and it caused problems, and I'm sorry. That's, that's how it's supposed to work. Because if you've got the treasure inside you're going you're gonna to do everything you can to make it right, even though this clay pot messes it up. And I would say the more broken that clay pot over time, the more light that leaks out of those cracks. That's what we minister out of. We don't minister out of our strengths and the great things we do. We minister out of our brokenness. Here's where God fixed me. I think maybe he can fix you. And the final one is this. This is actually my favorite one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, I think I really, this could be my, my life passage from after turning 60 on. All right, so I, I get this. This is just wasting away. It's just like I won't come back. I've actually tried the ice bath thing. I don't know. I don't know if I'm recommending it yet or not. I my body was so numb for I don't know how long. I guess you'd think it fixed my knee, but not my knee hurts now. Now people are going to say, well, you got to continue to do this. And I say, like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> if you wondered if the ice bath thing is, is it's cold. I was, I think I lasted two minutes and 15 seconds. So I stopped short of the three minute perfect. Maybe if I went three minutes, this knee wouldn't be wasting away, but it still is wasting away. I'll just, that's another conversation. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, every one of us has been around somebody that's maybe in their 70s or maybe in their 80s, and they've got the sweetest spirit about them. They've got so much grace. They just hardly see anything. In fact, I would just, I would just tell you, I've had, I've had grandparents that I remember, and I've said, man, they're just, they're so cool. They're so nice and all this thing. And, and then your parents would say, yeah, that's not the guy I grew up with. <laughs> What's happening with this? His, the outer shell is wasting away, but the inner stuff actually has got, has got nicer and sweeter and kinder and more merciful and more grace. That's how it should be. It's not always that way. Some people are broken and they remain bitter. Some people are broken and they get better. I hope you're one of those. We're, we're created beautiful. We're all broken. And you got a choice. You can become bitter or you can become better. You can make this verse your life first so that we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Well, I already tapped into the broken just a little bit. There was, there's beauty in that first because we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I think that's what makes us beautiful. That beautiful is like gold. It's solid gold. And gold, doesn't, it doesn't require a form. 
I mean, you can have a gold coin, you can have a gold a, a gold nugget, you can have a gold, something made out of gold, you have a bar of gold, but what's, what's the most valuable is that when, it doesn't matter the form that gold in, is in, that gold is valuable in and of itself. It's, its essence is gold. That's what I think the Imago Dei is. Not about the form. We look at the outward appearance. God says, no, I'm, I'm looking at the heart. That solid gold stuff inside of you, that Imago Dei, the image bearers, that's what's solid gold. That's what makes us beautiful inside. That's what makes us beautiful to God. But we're also broken. And that's part of the, the, the biblical worldview is to understand that there is beauty, but there is also brokenness. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. This is where the, we'll pick up the action here. And they, they heard the sound of the Lord in the, walking in the garden. This is after Adam and Eve had, had eaten the fruit of the knowledge of the good of, and evil, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man. He said, where are you? And he said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? The woman said, well, it's a serpent that deceived me and I ate it. So you can see here are three different things. I'm going to break them down a little bit. I've, I've talked about this before. But the first way that, that sin manifests itself, and you got to remember, they were in the garden and everything was perfect. And they had this perfect relationship with God. They were naked and felt no shame. This perfect transparency between each other and between God and them. No sin, no shame. And when they disobeyed God, the consequence of that was sin. I'm sorry. The consequence of that sin was the manifestation was shame, fear, and blame. And if you think about it, that is exactly what happens in our world today. There's, we, we all have shame. We're ashamed of the things we've done. And because of that shame, we want to hide. And guess what? Sin loves the corners of our lives. Sin loves to hang out where there's no light. Sin likes to hang out in the places where nobody, where someone clicks the light on, that sin gets real nervous inside of us, doesn't it? It's part of the brokenness we have. I think man fears shame. Man fears shame being exposed. I want you to just think right now, just real quick, of a, of a, Maybe the thing that sticks in your mind is the most shameful thing. You think about it, you just kind of wince inside. You. Ah, that's shame. And I will tell you, because of that shame, there's fear. I'm feared anybody would find that out. And we blame everybody else except probably ourselves. Well, the reason that happened, it's like the most healthy thing you can do as most difficult thing you can do. And we've been talking about this in our growth track. And it's like, you know, confess your sin one to another so that you might be healed. Every one of us is broken somehow. And you're not, we can't get over that brokenness just in a vacuum. According to scripture, we need to confess that sin one to another. Now, you're going to to confess something really shameful to somebody else is super risky. I mean, that's terrifying. But if you can do that just with one person that, have, that has 
your confidence. And you can share with them your brokenness or your wound or your shadow or your whatever that might be that, that way of describing this broken, brokenness inside, your secret. If you can share that with somebody, the Bible says there's healing in that. Because all of a sudden, it has no more power over you. If you don't believe this, go to an AA meeting. And even an AA, even though they don't necessarily go down the road of, of, of Christ-centered, the Holy Spirit, you know, in us. But when they do add that to it, it's the most amazing thing. But they say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm, and they say I'm an alcoholic, whatever it is. They, they talk about that brokenness. Even speaking that brokenness sheds some light on the inside and gives them some relief. If you can share that brokenness with a, with a brother or sister in Christ that loves you and cares for you, the Bible says, confess your sin one to another so that you may be healed. That's when the light comes on. But that's how you deal with shame. Christ dealt with shame. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, yeah, it's on the screen, despising, that word is also a better way to say that, disregarding the shame. In the, the Greek, it doesn't have the article in front. It says, dis, dis, despising or disregarding shame. And seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross represents shame. Christ was beaten to a bloody pulp. He was stripped completely naked. He was hung on a wooden Roman cross. There is, you talk about shameful Shame. Christ came to, and he, he, dis, he despised the shame. He, he didn't, he disregarded the shame. That's what it's a better way of saying it. He disregarded all that shame and he came and said, willingly took our shame. And when we fully understand that Christ died for that, that worst, that wincing thing inside of me, the worst thing that I could, that I've ever done or whatever it is, and I have that shame. It's like Christ died for that. He took our shame on himself so that I may be healed. By his wounds, by his stripes, you are healed. It's the most amazing thing. The exchange of taking my shame upon his cross and giving me in return peace, light, joy, freedom. It no longer has power over me. And that broken place and that vessel, that's where the light gets out. Here's a couple of other passages. Mark chapter 3, verse 8, verse 30, 38 says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when they come into the Father's glory. In other words, this, this idea of, of harboring this shame is probably a bad idea. We need, to, we need to allow this exchange to happen. Christ, take my shame. I'll take the joy. But I'm not going to, and, I, and I'm going to cling to his word. This is all a part of this worldview. We, we deal with this brokenness, and this brokenness is ugly. That's shame. We also deal with fear. Because when we're shameful, what we do, we all do this, just like Adam and Eve do it, do it this way. They, we want to hide. We don't want to tell people of our shame. We hide. 
We cover it. We lie. We do whatever we have to do. We just like, don't turn the light on over there. You guys can visit all this area of my life, but not this part. Because we fear. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 8 says this, for this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God. Now I got to stop real quick because this is what, this, this idea of the gift of God, God has given us gifts and we're supposed to fan that into the flame. To, to make something, a, a burning out of that. If in other words, make it, make it come burning brightly. God has given us gifts, but sometimes we don't use those gifts because uh, I'm not worthy. I'm shameful. I've done too many things wrong. I can't be, God can't use me. You don't want me. All that stuff. I hear it all the time. We all feel those things. But it's when you understand that this God has taken your shame and he's taken this brokenness and he's given you a gift and he wants you to use your gift through your brokenness. That's okay. Now you're getting there. That's what we're doing tonight. Renee, Renee talked about that. Finding your, your giftedness, finding your purpose, making a difference, all those things. God wants to do that in you. And when you do, man, you'll feel alive. You'll feel fulfilled. It's like, oh, God's using this thing that I was so shameful. Now he's using it to help somebody else. And the shame has no grip on me anymore. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of hands. For God gave, you, gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I liked how someone presented this to me one time. He said, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Somebody else put that there. God doesn't, that's not a fruit of the spirit. See, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fear is not in there. That comes from someplace else. But we live in fear, don't we? A lot of fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and sound mind. Shame, fear, and finally, blame. And this is where I think the brotherhood part comes back into it. I'm going to read Genesis. I've already read Genesis 3, 11 through 13. And this idea that... Um, who told you that you were naked? You ate from the tree. How did you know this stuff? And they blamed each other. Adam just said, oh, Lord, it's the woman who you created. He ended up blaming God. You're really the problem here, God, because you made her. And she tempted me or led me into down this road. But I, I've said this before, and I'll say it so many more times. It's so, it's so refreshing and it's so rare that someone actually in the public eye will take responsibility for anything. They just, we blame everybody. This blame, 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 blame. This is why to have someone be a stand-up guy, to be a stand-up gal and to admit, I, I did that. And I am ashamed by it. And I am, I am so sorry. Because that's the brotherhood. This is the, the part that God gives us in Christ. He says, make them one that you and, as you and I are one in John 17. How can we continue this oneness? Because we have shame, we have fear, we have blame still with us today. On a regular basis, we have to lean on this idea of the brotherhood. And the way we're supposed to respond as brothers is treating one another as we're one. Doesn't mean we agree. We have to treat one another as if that other person has the image of God in them to treat somebody else as an image bearer. Not as a, your enemy, but as an image bearer. I was in this grow group, uh, I don't know, it was like last week or so. And uh, I hadn't been there for a while. They 
uh, I had been busy and whatnot. I couldn't make it. But uh, so in the meeting, I said, well, let's, I want to go around. Just give me check in. How's everybody doing? Because I hadn't seen everybody for a while. And what was amazing to me, most of the time, it's all good stuff. I mean, it's like, this is happening. This is happening. Here's our kids and blah, blah, blah. This time, everybody had a conflict. There was a conflict either within their family. It was devastating. There was a conflict. Uh, one had, had a, another parent in, a, in a, a sports team that was a conflict, and it was devastating. Another had conflict, actually, some people within the, the church, the people they knew, and then it leaked out in the, the office, and it was devastating. And we went around the room, and it's like, wow, this is a pattern. And it's like, this, we ought to be better at dealing with image bearers. And what we do is we, we do shameful things, then we hide from it or deny it or blame each other. It's like somebody needs to step up and say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak not a half-truth, but a whole truth. I'm going to find out what the truth is first. I'm going to speak to that person, not via text, not I'm going to go to that person and say, hey, I'm going to clarify some things here. I want to make sure this is right. I want to read this passage. I want to read it over you. I want to end with this. It's Romans chapter 12. And I think it's, I think it has as much medicinal function for any, for a person, but for a church, for a community. But I would just say this. If this kind of thing doesn't happen inside of the walls of this place, I'm pretty confident it's not going to happen outside of the walls of this place. It's got to start here. It's got to start within the body. And once it's practiced in the body, being a stand-up guy, a stand-up gal, you can take it out into the workplace. It'll work there too. Blessed are those, bless those who persecute you. Romans 12, 14, where I'm going to start. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I'll just tell you, I wasn't going to preach this, but I've got to say a little bit. It's hard to reach. People love to rejoice with your weaknesses because they can relate with your weakness. But when someone has a real victory and someone celebrates with you, just so you know, that is, that's a big person that can celebrate with someone's victory. That's an important thing to do. Rejoice with people who rejoice. I'm going to start over. Try not to, I'll try to get all the way through it this time. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Here it is. If possible, as far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Listen, this is not a promise that this is actually going to live hap life happily ever after. But it says this, I can at least do my part. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Try to, try to go make amends with, with everybody. If you've hurt somebody, if you've offended somebody, or if you think you have, as much as it depends on you, you can just say, I'm going to do everything I can. I think it's key. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're supposed to turn around and bless those who curse us, not because we're happy with that clay pot, but because inside of that pot is the Imago Dei, the image bearer. I don't know if they're a brother or sister in Christ, but if they are, then it's all the more. We've got to go back to that person, especially the brothers and sisters, especially in the household of faith, to treat each other. Let's, let's have a start here. Let's have a start, and maybe it'll leak out into our community. Maybe to our world. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for your, this instruction. It's, it's hard. So important. God, that we are made beautiful as an image bearer. Nothing in our skin, our flesh, but that's the, that we bear the image of God. And those of us that have received you, Christ, in our lives, now we're image bearers that have life in Christ. It's amazing. God, we should, we should live. Help us to live as image bearers that are followers of yours. If we've hurt somebody, Lord, I pray that we can... We can do everything we, in our power to make that right. And I pray for your blessing in this process. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Make sure to check out our companion podcast where we dig deeper into an aspect of each week's sermon with questions and applications that are great for your Bible study or your grow group conversations. Like and subscribe to the channel as well so you don't miss any of our sermons or content. And if you're interested in our church, come check us out at CheyenneHills.org. And remember, be strong and very courageous.